hear this prayer as we have a time of Scripture reading. Teach us your way, O Lord, as we listen to your word. Help us to understand your law and obey it with all our hearts. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 19 and 21. These are from the commandments. Verse 19, you shall not steal. Verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. From the New Testament, we read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you shall wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the, uh, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what, sh we shall, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. From the world of sports and each sport's associated ground rules, the concept of stealing can be quite confusing. You see, in softball and baseball, players are allowed, check that, encouraged to steal bases. One of the most exciting plays 
in those diamond sports is to steal home. Now, this is metaphorical stealing. I pause to think about what softball and baseball would be like if a player literally stole a base and absconded with said item. It would be a little bit like, you know, baseball combined with musical chairs. And yet at the same time, the most recent major ethical controversy in Major League Baseball was when the world champion Houston Astros <laughs> let the internet audience know that this is Seattle Mariners territory and we're in the same division. But they were, this team at the top of Major League Baseball was uh, disciplined for stealing signs. Signs between players and coaches on the other team that maybe gave them an unfair advantage, which apparently this kind of stealing is a no-no. Baseball is not the only game that memorializes stealing. Hall of Famer and Gonzaga University product John Stockton is the NBA all-time career steals leaders, and yet I don't think I've ever heard of a warrant out for his arrest. When it comes to coveting, well, there's nothing like competitive team sports. Those of us who are fans of those sports know full well what it's like to think, to desire. I sure wish we had that player on our team. Fantasy sports has grown in popularity. And with it, increasing fan participation in what used to be just the realm of owners and managers of the business of sports. In which we commodify players and risk losing the reality that they, in fact, are not just things to draft and trade and manage, but they are human beings. So in fantasy sports, many, many of us who participate find ourselves judging players not by their intrinsic value to the team, but by the bottom line and how their statistics and their utilitarian value affects it. I'd venture to say that many a player trade begins with the setting of our desires, to quote the Ten Commandments, on our neighbor's shortstop or our neighbor's power forward or our neighbor's goalie. These are the final two commandments in in our exploration of God's life-giving lineup. And these focus in on what we want and what we do to get what we want. You shall not steal and you shall not covet. You see, God's guidelines are for God's guidelines for the good life envision a world 
where, to quote Jesus in the New Testament, where thieves do not break in and steal. A world in which people channel their passions and their energy and their efforts away from a focus on acquisition and possession of things. A life where under God's generous hand we are calm, cool, and contented. Let's look deeper at these two commandments. Last week we looked at the seventh and ninth and linked them. Today we're looking at the eighth and tenth and linking them. First, stealing. You shall not steal. Deuteronomy 5.19. Whether it be by stealth or violent force or by crafty ingenuity, taking what is not ours is something that doesn't fit into God's vision for the good life. Many of us have experienced being a victim of theft. Many of us wonder with every phone call that reaches especially our landlines these days, what scheme for stealing from us is at the other end of that line. Whenever we are victims of theft, at whatever level, it's always disorienting, isn't it? We feel less safe. We feel vulnerable. And sometimes, that vulnerability can be experienced as sheer trauma. I was watching a recent podcast Uh, on YouTube, and someone was describing an experience they had just had that is kind of a modern experience that, that years ago we never had the capability of having. And that is being far away from your home and your home being uh, uh, uninhabited at the time, and yet you have access via the internet to cameras around said home, And for you to be watching from a distance as people are stealing from your house, but you can't do anything about it. Now, the good news in that is you are not in danger of of the thieves breaking other commandments and getting hurt or worse. But it's... For this particular person, it was very unsettling and and brought her to to tears talking about how vulnerable she felt as she watched these masked strangers walking throughout her house. And there was a little bit of a chuckle as she shared the thing that really got her angry and upset was that they didn't even bring their own bags to put her stuff in. They, They took her pillowcases off the pillows and stuffed her things in those. The nerve. I have a recent experience of talking someone through what you need to do when you uh, walk out into a parking lot or along the street and you find that your car has been broken into. You find smashed glass and In this particular case, a missing bag 
in the car. This has happened before even in this church parking lot. It can happen in the church building. That window right over there, smashed. Things stolen. Which brings to us to the, the, the part that is not as related to our vulnerability, but, is, but that probably gets under our skin. And that is the fact that, man, we, we have such a tight margin on our to-do list, don't we? And then when someone breaks into your car, guess what you have to do now? You have to call the insurance company. You've got to get your car into the body shop to get, get new glass. You've got, to, you've got to do all of these things. You've got to replace things. That happens in the church too. We've got to call our insurance company. We've got to get a replacement uh, of, of things. And we've got to get people around to, to fix windows and doors. We know what it's like. And so we know what... It's like to long for that good life that God intends, where that doesn't happen. Moving on into coveting, the 10th and final commandment. I'm going to read it again, uh, verse 21 of Deuteronomy 5. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Some of you might have noticed that the final commandment is different from the rest. It enters new territory. Because the 10th commandment is not a prohibition on what we do. It's what we think before we do. It prohibits not an outward action, but an inward thought. The coveting is not the act itself. The coveting is the setting of our desire upon that thing. Desiring to have what does not belong to us or is not meant for us or or is ours to have. Thinking of this commandment and how it relates to our desires, I'm led to St. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the church, He described the essence of sin as disordered love. One reader of Augustine describes it this way. Disordered love means that we often love less important things more and more important things less than we ought to. And this wrong prioritization leads to unhappiness and disorder in our lives. The 20th century Scottish Bible scholar William Barclay sees a disordering at the root of coveting. He writes this, Covetousness comes from the idea that things will make us happy. Even when we covet relationships with people, we are treating them as things. It's interesting, in interpreting the text, we've, we've touched on this throughout the series, that, that in some ways the Ten Commandments is very much kind of beyond the cultural captivity of its uh, time in which these words were given to God's people because it was more advanced in the culture in terms of including both women and men. 
in both the Sabbath command that women and men are named to take the Sabbath. Um, it's that, so we honor both our father and our mother. It's true that in this we have, it's, it's just, it's not both ways. It doesn't say spouse. It actually, the text actually does. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And yes, in those days, there was more of a sense of, of women treated more as something like property. And yet, if we, if we updated that, just in this verse, I think we'd lose the sense that we are all vulnerable. When we covet, we're treating another person as if they are something to possess, not someone to love. That's what's happening when you covet your neighbor's spouse. It's dehumanizing. I mean, very few people, I think, who, who find themselves covet, coveting their neighbor's spouse are, are really coveting that person so that they'd have one to love sacrificially and to, and to endure all of that person's idiosyncrasies as we do with our spouses. It's more, I'd like to possess that. I'd like my life to have this person adorn my life or bring me something from this. This is not God's vision of the good life. When coveting, we can dwell on discontent. As Calvin University professor John H. Timmerman writes, covetous people are dissatisfied people. Discontent with what they have, always looking for something more. They tend to compare themselves with those who have more and not with those who have less and therefore are rarely happy. Our desires, ordered or disordered, are very much in play in our response to God's guidelines in the Ten Commandments. And it is the point of connection here in the Tenth Commandment, a connection with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. As we've been reading these texts, you you recall that, that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount identifies a number of the commandments and says, you have heard it said. You were taught in the synagogue this. You've read it yourself. But I say to you, and then Jesus goes deep. He doesn't say, don't, that, don't follow that law. He says, I'm going to take you deeper into the heart level. Well, what he's doing there, he's just going fully, stepping through the full door that the 10th commandment opened up. God opened up that 10th commandment and saying, you know what, folks? It begins in the heart. It begins at the level of desire. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 through 34, speaks his classic teaching on contentment in the kingdom of God. How many of us today, when Scott read that text from Jesus, found ourselves more at peace in its reading? It is a text that is very much at the heart of the practice 
of Sabbath. We, if we have learned one thing in this series and in our exploration of the practice of Sabbath, which, by the way, as we go through each one of these practices, it's not like we've done that and then we're not going to deal with that again. We continue to have an open invitation, speak of an open door, uh, an open door for any one of us and any who come to be part of us as a church that we want to continually explore the blessings and the benefit of Sabbath. But Jesus, in his teaching on contentment in the Sermon on the Mount, is speaking about the content and describing in full, vivid color what it means to rest in God. We know that Sabbath is resting from our work. We are to stop working and rest. Work is productivity. And in this world of productivity, human beings are used to... Well, they're treated as things that... Well, they're looked at as cogs in machinery that produces products. Have you ever felt like that in your job? That maybe it wasn't very easy. Kynan, you cannot answer this question. <laughs> Kynan works here at the church this summer. <laughs> but seriously, we have that experience of work. That's, that's part of the Sabbath. To be reminded and to engage once a week in that, in that blessed reminder that we are human beings, that we are made in God's image, and that our life is not limited to just how much we can contribute to productivity. We are not, as human beings, parts for a machine. We're human beings in need of regular rest. Something, rest, that the slaves in Egypt were never given. Remember that the Ten Commandments were liberation for the slaves. This is God's vision of the good life. The good life includes rest. It includes rest and protection from the powers above that will oppress people and turn them into people with only value for what they produce. That's what Pharaoh was doing in Egypt. And that still is a temptation in our world today. Theologian Marva Dawn reminds us that Sabbath rest is rest from our labor, yes, but also our labor specifically of producing things, of falling into this myth that our value comes from what we produce. It's a rest truly also, and should be, a rest from consumerism, which is the water we swim in in this culture. It should be a rest from scheming and dreaming and the getting of consumerism. You see, instead of, when we're, when we're really, really emphasizing the consumer side of our participation in the culture, we're focusing on what we're trying to get that we don't have. The more we focus on being grateful for what we have, and the more that focusing on what we have focuses on relationships and the people we have in our lives, 
the more we get what Sabbath is all about. Sabbath is about celebrating and delighting in what God has given us. Sabbath is an invitation to a day of deepening of our sense of God's abundant provision, to live in gratitude for God's generosity, and to value people more than things. Now, here's where I have to share some true confessions, because my Sabbath day is Friday. That's my one day off, because technically there is that work... There's productivity that's part of a pastor's uh, life on Sundays. Uh, So Friday is that day. And so, uh, true confessions, uh, there is someone in the North Creek family who who came up to me and greeted me in Costco on the Sabbath. Okay, so if you, that's true story, that's true story. And so, so that greeting was, a, was very welcome, but also it, ca- pause, it caused me to think, as I was thinking about this sermon, hey, wait a minute, Pastor Kurt, you were in, like, the big box representative of consumerism in the culture, which is a Costco warehouse. So what were you doing there? Well, okay, it caused me to think about why was I there. So my wife and I were there to bring our eyeglasses prescription in and get new glasses and upon reflection I thought you know that's that actually could be a really good Sabbath activity you know God wanting me to see God gave me eyesight but seriously no I'm not even kidding on that and it's not even rationalization like if you if the only time you can go to a doctor's appointment you know that's not work that's God healing you amen amen however In the particular Costco that we went to, you know, oftentimes the, 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 uh, the optical area is, is not in the consumer area. In this particular one, it very much is. And so I had to decide, and I, I remember thinking this, like, am I going to go from this place where we're getting eyeglasses, and am I going to be a consumer because my eye, you know how Costco does that? They put things up in the air so you can see them all the way across the warehouse. Want this. Check this out. And I remember it being a time of temptation. But what I also remember is this. Is that Knowing and remembering that I was on a Sabbath day in that place allowed me to focus more attention on the human interaction. I don't think I've ever connected with someone in that position in the optical store of Costco in a person-to-person way and just notice how wonderful she was ever before. And it was just that reminder that this is my day for people and not for things. Jesus' teaching on contentedness in the Sermon on the Mount is a fitting conclusion to our series on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is a day of rest from storing up earthly treasures. One day a week for, our heart level, for a heart-level reset of our desires. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. It's a day for storing up treasures in heaven. For investing in something of infinite, lasting value. Something that no one or no circumstance can take away from you. A day to demonstrate who or perhaps what you're devoted to. For you cannot serve both God and money. One day a week for stepping out of the stream of worry that dominates our days. A day to take a rest from running after possessions. I think Jesus would say, as the pagans do. A day on which to seek first the kingdom of God. Perhaps a day to sing this song. Will you sing it with me? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia. Alleluia. Week by week. On the Sabbath, placing ourselves in God's generous hands, we are calm, cool, and contented. Amen.